Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. As Matt said, today we're looking at Psalm 24, and this can be found on page 555 of the Church Bibles. So page 555, Psalm 24. Of David, a psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Heather, and uh, good morning, everyone. Let me echo Matt's welcome, a particularly warm welcome if you're new to us. If we haven't met, my name is Pete Scammon. I'm the associate vicar, and I'd love to meet you afterwards. Do come and say hello. And uh, for those who are part of the church family, let me say also uh, thank you very much to all those who have been praying uh, for us. I've just come back from a three-month sabbatical, and uh, we had a wonderfully refreshing, relaxing, and restorative time while we are away. So... Lord and I both are very grateful to all of you for praying for us, for those who covered while we are away, but also it's very good to be back with you all this morning. A few of you came up to me last week with a slightly concerned look in your face, asking if all my sermon illustrations from now on will be about campervanning in Scotland, <laughs> to which I would say, almost certainly, <laughs> but you are safe, I think, this morning. Um, with that in mind, let's turn to Psalm 24. If you've got your Bibles... It's on page 555 in these church Bibles. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. May that word humble us where we need to be humbled. And may it lift us up where we need to be encouraged. And we pray this for the sake of your honor and glory. Amen. I want to start with a question for us all this morning. If we could be anywhere this morning... Where would we want to be? Maybe some of us could think of a stadium in Sydney uh, for a particular football game just starting about now. Is that right? Don't be distracted. Um, Or maybe at home on the sofa watching the TV rather than being here at church on a Sunday morning. Uh, Maybe for some of us, we think back to a holiday that came to an end a few weeks ago 
and we would love just to push back time and be on holiday for 24 hours more, a bit more rest and peace and quiet and one final Mr. Whippy ice cream before coming home. Last week, Virgin Galactic launched three passengers right up to the edge of space. And for just a few moments, they were able to float around in the cabin and they could look out the window and see Earth below them. It must have been an amazing place to be for just a few moments. For some, exam results have come out this week. And maybe for some, you didn't get the results you needed to go to the place you really want to be at next year. And it's hard to have that place snatched away from you. Or maybe it's a relationship, a person, a parent, a child, a dear friend, and we would love just to have an afternoon with them if we could. But of all the places we might want to be this morning, what about up a mountain? I know living here in the peaks, lots of you love to go for walks in the hills, but as we come to Psalm 24 this morning, we'll see that there is a particular mountain, and as we get our heads around what it means to be at the top of this mountain, I think we'll see that there is not a place on this earth that is more glorious, awesome, life-changing, joy-bringing than this mountaintop experience for anyone, anywhere, at any time. Look at verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? In a very real way, God is everywhere. God is not like us. God is spirit, which means he can be everywhere at once. And yet, as we look through the Bible in the Old Testament, God at certain times and certain special places made his presence particularly known. If you think of the people of Israel gathered at Mount Sinai when God's presence came down on top of the mountain. Or the temple in Jerusalem was built on top of a hill at the center of the city where God came to dwell in the temple. And so here in Psalm 24, this journey up a mountain is a picture of a journey into that special presence of God. And that's why verse 3 continues. Who may stand in his holy place? But I wonder this morning, of all the places we could be in this world, why should we long to be in God's presence most of all? It's hard, isn't it? We can't see God. He, he feels at times abstract. To be in a stadium full of people watching a football match feels much more real, doesn't it? Than the thought of being in God's presence. But look at how the psalm sets it up for us by reminding us who is the Lord. That's our first point, the Lord. Look at verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I love watching that footage from the Virgin Galactic flight. There's something breathtaking about looking out the window and seeing the earth suspended in space. An awesome sight. But it's also pretty awesome on the ground as well. We've been enjoying watching that TV program called Race Across the World. Uh, teams have to travel as quickly as possible from where they are to some distant country as fast as possible, but they can't fly. They have to stay on the ground using buses and boats and taxis and trains. It's much slower, but 
again and again, the, the contestants, as they are forced to slow down, marvel at the world they are traveling through. Sprawling cities, towering mountains, roaring rivers, peaceful forests. And so whether it's from above or below, if we take the time to stop and look at our world, it is awesome. And it all belongs to the Lord. But verse 1 continues, not just the world, but also all who live in it. I've got a, uh, a label machine here. It's like something from Star Trek, isn't it? Um, um, you can type in your name on this label machine and press a button and the label pops out. It's the kind of thing you might use to put your name on your school bag, uh, your, your football boots, to say they're mine. They belong to me. There is not a person in this room or eight billion people on this planet who the Lord could not type his name out and put a label on them saying, mine, I belong to the Lord. It's easy to forget, isn't it? The dream house we've bought, the children we've raised, the money in our bank account, the car and the drive, all of it belongs to the Lord. Why? Verse 2. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Taking us back to the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, when God created the world. He brought order out of chaos. He is the cause, the author of everything that we see and experience in this life. The lungs in us that breathe in oxygen, that enters our blood, that gives us life and strength, that we can get up in the morning and we can talk to people and experience stuff in this world and go to work and earn money and save and have good holidays and eat ice cream. All that comes from the Lord. Football matches, trips into outer space, experiences that we treasure. Yes, at one level, there's human involvement, human initiative, but trace it back further and further behind it all stands the Lord, the ultimate cause of everything. Uh, perhaps there are some here this morning who feel that this goes too far, that perhaps science has disproved this understanding of our world, that uh, evolution, the Big Bang, give us a different narrative for how and why our world exists. But the question remains... Who or what caused it all? No scientist can answer that. And here in Psalm 24, the answer is that behind it all, there is one uncaused cause of everything. He is the Lord. And that is why the journey of verse 3 is so important. We've seen the Lord next, his presence. To be welcomed into the presence of this Lord is to come to the author and source of everything in this world, all the good things that we enjoy, and to be cut off from his presence in an ultimate way is to be cut off from that same source of goodness and life and joy. And so the question of verse 3 really matters. Who may stand in his holy place? Well, verse 4 the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Matt's mentioned this already in our confession. Hands speak of our actions, how we treat people, the things that we've done. Heart speaks of our 
motives, our desires. Who here can say that the things we've done and our motives have always been pure? Verse 4. He does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. An idol is anyone or anything that we love or live for instead of the Lord. And who can honestly say that our hands, our hearts, our loves, our loyalties have always been in keeping with these verses? And so I think in Psalm 24, we can picture it like this. We can picture God's holy mountain with the the Lord at the top of the mountain. And then down below, there's a gate. And there's a queue of people coming to the gate, desperate to get in, to climb up to God's presence. And person by person, as they come to the gate, they're asked, why should you be allowed in? And again and again, the answer comes back. You don't make it. You're not pure enough. You're not allowed to continue your journey into God's presence. And if we stop there, this would be a very bleak psalm indeed. Actually, it's a psalm full of joy and wonder and praise because it doesn't stop there. It's as if the camera pans around from the desperate queue on one hand to another arrival who rocks up at the gates at the bottom of the mountain. And things change when this arrival takes place. We see his king, the Lord's king. Look at verse 7. The cry goes out. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Then someone from inside the gate calls back. Verse 8. Who is this king of glory? The answer comes back. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. The conversation is repeated again, perhaps to underline the significance of this moment. And this glorious king arrives at the gates. They are opened, and he's welcomed in, and he ascends the mountain of the Lord in great honor and glory. Perhaps in Israel's day, this psalm would have been used in a moment when the king of Israel went out from the city and fought a great battle against their enemies, won the battle, and then came back to enter the Jerusalem, back up to the Temple Mount, and the people would have praised the glorious king returning from the victory. But even still, there are puzzles in this psalm that don't quite line up. Because as we look at the history of Israel, there is no king in her history that is this glorious. Even the great king David could not say that he deserved to enter into God's presence. Remember his unclean hands and impure heart with Bathsheba and his adultery with her and how he murdered her husband Uriah? Or verse 8, verse 10. This king of glory is the Lord himself. No human king. We have to wait 1,000 years to get the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle in place when the Lord Jesus comes into our world. The perfect man who did have always clean hands and a pure heart, who always loved the Lord as he should, and yet he came to win a tremendous victory in a battle that cost him his life as he died on the cross in the place of sinners, defeating sin and the devil on the third day raised to resurrection life, showing us that he has also defeated death. And having been raised, he ascended into heaven, glorious and exalted to the seat of um, glory in heaven next to the Lord, his heavenly Father, 
and down through the ages, Christians have used Psalm 24 to celebrate the ascension of Christ on Ascension Day, which is absolutely right. And part of the right response for us this morning is to simply go, wow, we have a wonderful king. In just a moment, we'll sing a couple of songs. The second one will be a song of praise and glory to our King, the Lord Jesus, for all that he's done for us. That is the right response to Psalm 24. But also, and this is so important, the ascension of Jesus, his return to heaven, tells us that heaven's gates are open for all. It is his victory over sin. That means that there is a purity, a cleansing that we do not earn, we cannot earn, but is given to us as a free gift through his victory when we come and trust in him. I think verse 5 is hinting at this. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. God is a holy God. We must not downplay the pure, dazzling red, white hotness of his holiness to make it easier to get in. And yet in Christ, a way has been made for us. If we never put our trust in Christ here this morning, and yet we would love to be welcomed into God's presence, I would love to chat to you afterwards to explain how Christ makes it possible. If we are trusting in Jesus, then can I reassure us that we are welcome? We are safe, we are secure in Christ. We've already arrived, and one day when he returns, we will see the fullness of that welcome. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for King Jesus and his victory over sin. That means that heaven's gates are open wide. Help us to praise him and to trust him and to be confident of his work for us, to welcome us into your presence. In his name we pray. Amen.